you witnessed the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Every man that stood here has a story of rescue. You and I don't know necessarily every detail of those stories, but we know that they have a story of rescue, which has this in common with you, that apart from the grace of God, they could never have said, I believe in Jesus. And apart from the grace of God, they or any of us could never live a life that brings glory to Jesus. It's impossible. Right now, our church is going through this season together, and it's a very exciting time, and it's a very challenging time. This is not simply a church going through the motions. It is a time where we're digging deep and asking God, who is it that you've called us to be? Who are you reminding us we are? Over the next couple of weeks, this church will celebrate its 30th birthday. It's easy for me to remember because I got married the same weekend that this church started. And by the way, I wasn't thinking of you at all. (laughs) 30 years goes fast. And my wife and I have had highs and lows. We've had moments when we couldn't imagine marriage being any sweeter. And honestly, moments when we were like, Mark, if you don't change, And Christina, honestly, if you don't change, we're going to be in some pretty dark waters. And there we were reminded of God's grace. It takes the grace of God to give us the ability to believe the truth about who he is. And it takes the grace of God to give us the ability to live out that truth. And at the end of the day, 30 years from now, when I'm not here, many of you aren't here, we're in a much more glorious place, there will be someone here. And the goal of the church will not have changed. How it's expressed, what the city looks like, what the needs are that we need to engage might look quite different, but the mission will not change because it's his mission. And that mission is to bring him glory and to enjoy him forever. From the youngest of ages, our children know that mission. Children, answer this for me. Say it loudly. What is the chief end of man? Oh, come on. Thank you. Now. What you all missed is you're all children. You are all his beloved. So children, what is the chief end of man? Loudly, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So how do we do that? There is only one way. It's abiding. Paul preached last week from John 15 where Jesus says this, it is to my father's glory that you bear fruit. True or false? False. I left the word out. It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So proving to be my disciples. As we move through this season of re-enter, we're doing so because we want so much.
for your life, for our life together, not to bear minimal fruit, not to look like we're just culturally Christian, but that we look like a radically different group of people because of our abiding relationship with Jesus. And that there is much fruit in the life of this body. Much fruit that's obvious because the Spirit of God is alive in us. And let me repeat what I've said already. It takes the grace of God to give us the ability to believe any of this is true. And it takes the grace of God to give us the ability to live out that fruitful life. But he does. He does. He gives us the ability because of our union with him. And this text will show you. Let's stand. For the reading of God's word, I'm going to be reading from 1 John, and I'm going to pick up in chapter 4, verse 7, and read through verse 21. As I read, just reflect on how many times the word love is present and the word abide. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in the world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love we love because he first loved us if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, as we open up your word, we pray you would bless us. Holy Spirit, indeed, the one living in us, illuminate these words, transform us for your glory's sake. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. A question that people often ask is, how can I be sure I'm going to heaven? If you're asking the question sincerely, it's a good sign that you care about those things. But there is an answer. Sometimes it's younger people that ask the question out of fear of perhaps I haven't done it right or I don't know exactly whether I'm going to heaven or not. And I want you to know that one unique aspect of Christianity is that there is absolute assurance for those who profess faith in Jesus alone. One of the burdens of this letter, 1 John, is that John wants 
those who have professed faith in Christ to know they have assurance of salvation. Near the end of his letter, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, so that you may know, so that you may know you have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So it's very easy. If you have the Son, you've rested and received in Jesus alone for salvation, you have life. You're his forever. But here's something that's really important. If that has happened in your life, then that faith will produce fruitfulness. In other words, your life will be a manifestation of the Spirit living in you. Because you and I could never believe that truth about Jesus if the Holy Spirit wasn't at work. And if the Holy Spirit is at work and we truly believe those truths, there will be fruit evidenced in our life. Does that make sense? Jesus said it. I've already quoted it. It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, so proving to be my disciples. So if you have a testimony and somebody asks you, are you a Christian? Or if you're wondering if you are, you can go back to a time, maybe a specific date, if not a specific date, a specific season, and you can remember when the Lord began to woo you to himself. Like John said, we love because he first loved us. At some point in our life, we began to realize that love and we want that love and the spirit of God enters in and we're rescued. And when we're rescued, that same spirit begins to do a work in us that generates that fruit that we could never generate ourselves. John also speaks of assurance in this passage in 1 John. Look with me at verse 13. John Stott says this is the high watermark of the entire letter of 1 John. He says in verse 13, by this we know that we abide. Now, this is important. If Jesus said, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, so proving to be my disciples, we know that proof that we're disciples of Jesus is what? Fruit. Jesus said over and over again in John 15, abide, abide, abide because apart from me, you can do nothing. And what he was saying is apart from me, apart from my union with you, apart from the Holy Spirit living in you, you can't bear fruit. Not good fruit, you can bear bad fruit, but not good fruit. But in me, you can bear much good fruit. So proving to be my disciples. So the question then becomes, how do I know if I'm abiding in Jesus? How do I know, as Paul said last week, I've made, made my home in Christ, or Christ has made his home in me? Well, John tells, tells us, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Now, this is really important. There's two things I really want you to see. One is belief, and one is behavior. And they both require the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in our life. John, seeking to bring assurance of salvation, highlights the truth that we need God's grace to have the ability to believe the truth about Jesus. So watch what, what John does here. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The word of God tells us that he's not one of many saviors, but he's the savior, the one true savior of the world. 
He was sent by the Father. Verse 14, John's saying, and we have seen and we testify. In other words, he's saying, we believe that God the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. That's called union with Christ. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. This is really important. If we believe that God loves us, it's because the Holy Spirit has moved behind the scenes enabling us to believe that truth. It takes God's grace to give us the ability to believe the truth about who Jesus is. If you believe the truth about who Jesus is, praise God. Praise him for that work. Praise him that his spirit at some point in your life, and it actually might be today, illuminated your heart and said, this is who you are apart from Jesus. This is why you need Jesus. And when you believe the truth about him, it's because God has been pursuing you. John says it in this text. We love because he first loved us. That changes everything. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. He is a new creation. So it changes everything. That's why John starts this part of his letter in verse 7 saying, beloved. I love to end an email or a text or a letter or a conversation saying to a brother or sister in Christ, you are his beloved. Think about that. That changes everything. The only primary identity, the only permanent identity is that identity. You're his beloved. As Bill introduced this in our time of prayer, Father, because of your son, because of what he did, and because of your spirit enabling me to believe the truth about what he did, what you did, I'm with you forever. I am your beloved. And not because of anything I've done. I was dead. You were dead. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ. If you've ever believed that, if you're beginning to believe that, if today you believe that, it's because his spirit is giving you the ability to believe. Praise him. But that's not all. Beloved, John says, let us love one another. This is an important theme that John heard from Jesus just before Jesus went to the cross. What did he say? Jesus talking to the disciples, to washing their feet. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Now think about that. Love one another as I have loved you. In the three years we've walked together, I have loved you perfectly. In the three years that we've walked together, I've never done one thing that was inappropriate or selfish. I've never thought wrong, felt wrong, acted wrong. 
We can't do that. We can't. Something far greater must happen, and it did. Our perfect righteousness, Jesus, was crucified because we could never love that way. He was crucified because we could never earn our way. Jesus, this one savior of the world. If you believe it, praise God. Beloved, he then says, love one another. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. Then he says, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Now let's think about that for a minute. We're almost 30 years old. Some of you are brand new to this church. Some of you were little when we came to this place. Some of you were instrumental in the whole work and still are. But we could have the best buildings, the best musicians, the best speakers, the best small groups, the best strategy for missions, the best resources, whatever we can imagine. But if we have not love, it's all a waste. It is a complete waste. First Corinthians 13, a clinging gong, a clinging symbol. You see, the mark of a church, the church, that is so compelling is this Christ-like love. It's this compelling reality of a belief given to us that we've received. He loved us first. That overwhelms us so much that we want our life to reflect that same kind of love as he's called us to. And that is what he called us to. John goes on to say, love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. He's going to go on to say, if you think you can love God and still hate your brother, you're a liar. John is teaching what Jesus taught. That when we abide in Christ, that love vertically that flows to us and through us finds its way horizontally. Love is the first fruit that Paul describes in Galatians 5 in the section on fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And of all the attributes that John could have highlighted here, which one did he highlight? Love. Because love is unlike anything else. And the kind of love that he is speaking of here is agape love. There are three words for love, phileo, eros, and agape. Agape is, is the love that is so powerful because it is a decision to love that which is unlovable. Agape is the purest, noblest form of love, which is volitionally driven. It's not motivated by superficial appearances or sentiment. It's not about an emotional attraction it, or physical attraction even. It is about a love that is deeper. It's a choice to love when we are unlovable. It's God's love, certainly for us. And so what does it look like? Well, our time right now that we are living in 
is more divisive than any time most of us can ever remember. It's divisive outside the church and also inside the church. But here's what's amazing. If we, in the power of the Spirit, live out the ability God's given us in him to love the unlovable, to love the blind, to love others, brothers and sisters, our neighbors, and even our enemies. The church then looks like no other institution in the world ever can. And that's why Jesus said, they will know you because of the love you have for one another. Love is hard. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives us that incredible description of love. Just listen as I read a few of them. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So now faith, hope, and love abide. There's that word. These three, but the greatest of these is love. How you doing? When I read this passage, I don't know of any other part of scripture that brings such conviction so quickly. Sinclair Ferguson, our friend, actually helped me here. He wrote a book, an Advent devotional, and based it on 1 Corinthians 13. And what he said to do was, take the word love and insert your name. So this is what that would sound like. Mark is patient and kind. Mark does not envy or Mark, and Mark does not boast. Mark is not arrogant and rude. Mark keeps no record of wrongs. Mark bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What if I did? Be pretty remarkable, but I don't. And I can't. So what do I do? Ferguson says, now insert Jesus' name where love is. And then read it towards yourself and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. And it goes on. We have the privilege because of that abiding relationship in him to continually be reminded of our need for forgiveness and true forgiveness given. And from that love, which has pursued us first, we then in the power of the spirit can show that same love to others. But right now, the church looks very little different than the world. When someone disagrees with us, 
As Pope Pat Hoban shared with our elders not long ago, we have a lighter in this hand and lighter fluid in this hand, and we are just ready to torch. Burns hurt. I've had bad burns twice, one on this hand and one on my lips. The burn on my lips came from my older sister, Debbie, who left her curling iron plugged in. I jumped into her bed to grab the phone, and as I did, my elbow hit that cord and the curling iron fell flat on my lips. Yeah, it hurt. <laughs> These are tender. It happened three days before I started high school. I looked really good. It took months to heal, and the pain was excruciating because burns hurt. But what makes me really sad is that these same lips have been used to torch others. Like James says in chapter three, a small spark sets a forest on fire. How many fires have I started? How many people have I burned? Burns hurt. In that same passage, James says, out of the same mouth comes cursing of God's creation, people, and blessing it should not be. And so because the world's pattern is to scorch everyone, because the narrative wherever we look on whatever channel we turn to is to scorch the other, we have a moment in time to look radically different, to live out the love that is in us that we didn't deserve. We did deserve to be scorched forever. We have the privilege and the power in us to say, I'm not going to speak unkindly. I'm going to seek to understand where they're coming from. I'm not going to compromise truth, but I'm also not going to destroy a relationship in the way I speak about the truth. I'm going to live the way Jesus called me to live. I'm going to be the light of Christ who is in me. And friends, when that happens, it's not scorched. It's grace, it's fragrance, it's beauty. And because we're in Christ, he's given us the ability to love as he himself has loved. And when we fall short, and we will, he shows us the same love again. And there's no greater motive for loving others than his love for us. Remember what he said from the cross. From the cross, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Oh, friends, if this church, his church, lives out that love, we'll see the fulfillment of what his word says. People will know we are his disciples. It takes the Holy Spirit, and there's no other way. It takes the Holy Spirit to believe rightly about Jesus and to live the way Jesus called us to live. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful that your word reminds us that we are your beloved 
And today, if there is a woman, man, child who doesn't know you, but today has been stirred to think about this Savior, Jesus, I pray that now you would overwhelm them, that they would trust you, surrendering their life to you, praying in admission that they're a sinner in need of a Savior and you're the only one. Friend, if that is you, pray that now. Receive Jesus alone and tell us what you've done today. We want to walk with you. Lord, for those who've known you a long time, but like me, are very aware of the times that we have done so much damage with our tongue. We pray for mercy, and we thank you for your forgiveness. We pray that you would give us self-control, the last of the fruit of the Spirit mentioned, and that we would see this change take place in our lives as we speak to others. And as we love, not just with words and tongue, but also with actions and truth. And Lord, as we close singing about the Holy Spirit, we thank you indeed that he is in us. We praise you and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.